All right, you are now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the true players broadcast, episode 135, and we have a great interview for you today. We have legendary coach Lorenzo Romar, head coach of the Pepperdine Waves, and also former head coach of the Washington Huskies for 15 seasons. We're going to talk about what it was like to recruit and coach players like Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, Markel Fultz, and Isaiah Thomas, of course. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew. Kick that intro music. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt like Mount Vesuvius. I'm about due to erupt. Use it or I'm losing it. They say I need to loosen up. Tight, I'm well taught. I must do the max like Ludi us. I do have something to say. So you got to give it up. Give it up. You never heard All right, so the question Drew and I get asked every single day is how do you start a podcast? When we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we both had so many questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen to? And most importantly, how do we make money from our podcast? The answer is simple, Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all people, it's 100% free, and it's ridiculously easy to use. Even Drew can use it. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, guys, that's exactly what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and Drew and the whole diverse community of podcasters around the world that are already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. We can't wait to hear your podcast. All right, so we have head coach of Pepperdine Basketball, Lorenzo Romar, on the show today. Coach, we really appreciate you having on and taking the time for us today. Yeah, thanks for coming. Glad to be on. Been looking forward to it. You know, what we do is um, with every guest that we have, we kind of like to get a background, just like how you came up playing basketball. We know that you're an L.A. kid. We kind of want to talk about high school and then moving on into college. If you can give us a little background for our listeners, we'd love to know. Well, I'll try not to be long-winded, but uh... – I was raised in Compton, California, and uh, eventually went to Verbum Day High School. Spent two years there, and my family moved from another part of Compton, from one to another part, and so I transferred to a school called Pius X and was there. And uh, as a 10th grader at Verbum Day, uh, I was five foot six inches tall and just couldn't make the varsity and then couldn't make the junior varsity. and. Uh, we transferred, and later I grew to be about six foot and uh, made the varsity at the highest uh, as a junior and senior. was inconsistent play. I, I didn't get consistent minutes. I was still developing as a player and had to go to junior college. So no offers, but went to Cerritos Community College. And even as a freshman there, uh, came off of the bench, but worked really hard in between my freshman and sophomore year and came back and I was MVP of our team and was then given a scholarship uh, to University of Washington to play basketball there. and uh, Played basketball there for a couple of years and had a very mediocre career. And uh, at that point in my life, there was my basketball. There was, there was more to it, but that was, I'm taking you up to my college days. Yeah, but you say mediocre career, but you still got drafted, too. This is back right. when they had – how many rounds did they have? 12 rounds? How many rounds was it? There were, there were 10. Uh-huh. There were 10 rounds back 
And, and I was blessed in that there was a guy named Pete Newell, who at that time was a uh, top scout for the Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. And he also uh, was an, uh, uh, the color guy for the Pac-10 game of the week, which was on Monday nights. And he did the games, and he was also a scout for the Warriors, and he told them, he said, there's a kid that plays at the University of Washington that kind of has a flair for the game. You can tell he loves to play. He might have a chance if you have a pick in the late rounds that you're, you're willing to wait, uh, waste. Maybe you might <laughs> want to try and, and, and draft him. And that's exactly what happened. They drafted me uh, 141 and it was seventh round. So I, I get to camp and uh, eventually, I think there were about 22 guys there that first day camp and event. And uh, Al Adels was my coach. He was a coach of the Golden State Warriors. And uh, he told me that I'd made the team. And I mean, I was just so fired up and I, I began to thank him, you know, and he said, wait, wait. He says, don't thank me. He says, in fact, there were several times we literally had your plane ticket ready to give <laughs> after practice. He said, but you would come out and do something we didn't know you were capable of doing, and you earned and worked your way on this team. He said, so you earned this. He said, uh, continue to keep working. Don't, don't uh, get content with what you've just done. But, uh, you know, obviously it was an experience I would never, never forget. Well, that's pretty crazy. You say you had a mediocre college career, mediocre high school career, and you still made it to the NBA. So, I mean, that's a pretty great story. I mean, if maybe if there were two rounds like there are now, you might not have made it like that. So, I mean, that's a pretty good story. It worked out. Well, it, it worked out. It, it definitely worked out. So, You got to play in the league, and then <clears throat> you played five seasons, correct? Correct. Correct. And then you went on to move on to this new league that actually Drew knows happens to know a lot about. You might enjoy this. So brief background, my, my dad grew up in Fullerton, played for Cal State Fullerton and then Cal Poly, and then played against okay. times in exhibition matches, or athletes in action. Athletes in action, athletes in action. right, right. And that's, that's kind of where your next step Who's was. Who's your dad? What's your dad's name? His name is Bill Miller. Played, he was a point guard. And uh, so I know that that's where you ended up after, you know, you're sitting in the NBA. And I, I, a lot of people don't really know much about it. I mean, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, during that time. Can you give us a little bit of back, background on that and what that experience was like? I also know that's kind of where your coaching career started as well. So if you can kind of take us through that, that would be really interesting. There's a, uh, a parachurch ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ and Athletes in Action. And it, they were on campus, uh, campuses throughout the United States and other places uh, spreading the gospel. Uh, spreading the word, and Athletes in Action was the athletic branch of Campus Crusade for Christ. So it was not only basketball, but there were other sports as well. And early on, when it first came out uh, in, in the early 70s, it was a big deal because there were a couple of players, one being Ralph Drollinger, who was playing for the UCLA Bruins, won a national championship. Uh, he turned down a pro career to play for Athletes in Action. There was wow. another guy named Baird Forrest who uh, left the Phoenix Suns to play for Athletes in Action to dedicate their lives to full-time ministry that way. So it was a big deal. And during those days, Athletes in Action, I remember played UNLV, number one in the country, running Rebels and upset them. I think the San Francisco, I mean, they, 
they were beating some really, really good wow. teams. Yeah. Uh, they actually were playing, uh, would play on television at times. Yeah. And I remember in high school, uh, looking through the TV guide, seeing that, uh, you know, somebody was playing against athletes in action. So I was watching. I was thinking, you know, at some point, if I wasn't able to make it to the pros or whatever, even though at that point it didn't seem like I had any chance to ever play in the pros, that might be a fun group to play with athletes in action, you know. And I didn't totally know what they stood for at the time. And myself, I wasn't a Christian at the time. But uh, later on, I, I continued to, to follow what they did because, you know, they played a, a big-time schedule. Right. And I was with uh, – uh, I had just finished college. And a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to go work out out in Tustin, California. He That's said, where we live. That's where basically like where we're from right now. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, this Athletes in Action team works out there. I'm thinking, Athletes in Action? Really? I said, okay, and I might want to go out there because things don't work out. Maybe I could play for Athletes in Action. And again, still wasn't a Christian at that point. And I went out there and worked out, and uh, there was no interest on their part. <laughs> so I think after that, I think the draft happened, and I ended up playing in the NBA. And I played uh, a few years in the NBA, and then I did become a Christian. And uh, I remember going into, I think, fourth year or so, uh, I'd been a Christian for about a year, and athletes in action came to a training camp. I was with the Indiana Pacers, and uh, they had told me that they were aware of me, that uh, I was someone that might fit their mission, and if I didn't make the NBA, that they would love to have me join their team. You know, all that time I watched athletes in action, was interested, and I wasn't a Christian. They weren't interested in me. When I finally, they came after me. So long story short, I decided to join them. Uh, it was an exciting time for me to be able to use basketball as a platform to share my faith. And seven years later, I was with Athletes in Action. And in my last three years, I became a player coach. And it was at that point uh, that Jim Herrick, whom I had knew, known before from the LA area, uh, approached me and invited me an opportunity to coach with him on his staff at, at UCLA. That's, that's where I wanted to go next in this conversation is Jim's a friend of our show and um, we got to pick his brain a couple weeks ago and it was just amazing. I mean, there's a lot in his brain. It, 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 we that's could remarkable. not, un, we could, it was so unbelievable. Yeah. This guy could remember a play from 1973 who took the ball out of bounds, who didn't, uh, who did, who missed their man, who missed the cut. Um, so you got a really great chance to be an assistant coach on the UCLA Bruins, with the UCLA Bruins, under Coach Herrick, which is just an awesome guy to mentor you. Um, and you've also been known as this really great recruiter. And I want to talk about recruiting with you for a minute because I know you played a very big hand in, in recruiting that 95 championship team. Um, can you talk a little bit about that team and, like, what it was like putting that squad together? Yeah, you know, we had a, a terrific staff. Mark Gottfried, Steve Lavin, I mean, those guys – uh, eventually became head coaches in their own right, and they were really good. And uh, as a team, I thought we worked well together as a group, and I thought we had great chemistry. But that, that team uh, had a, a guy named Ed O'Bannon who was just phenomenal. Now, you're talking about going off 
on a tangent, you start talking about Ed O'Bannon, I, I can go on and on. The type mm-hmm. of player he was, the type of leader, the type of character, all of that. But uh, he was obviously the cornerstone. And with him, a guy named Cameron Dollar, who wise beyond his years, mature beyond his years, came in and joined the group. Charles O'Bannon, Ed's younger brother, came in and joined the group. So those two came in. And then the following year, with the same group intact, uh, Toby Bailey, J.R. Henderson, a guy named Oma Givens, who was a McDonald's All-American, joined the team, and Chris Johnson, son of Marcus Johnson. Uh, who became a really good basketball player. Those guys joined, and now now the team was set. And not only was Ed O'Bannon there, but Tyus Edney, who uh, everybody who follows UCLA will never forget him and the player he was at the, the 4.8-second shot. And then George Zedek, who was a seven-footer that uh, under Coach Herrick's tutelage just became uh, a first-round draft choice and was an equalizer in the paint down there. So you put this team together that had tremendous chemistry and tremendous leadership. In fact, probably the best leadership of any team that I've ever been around on the college level. Do you think Uh, it was the maturity of those players too? There's no question. Mm -hmm. There's no question. In college basketball, you win when you have experience and and character and talent. And that group had all of those. And you're just talking about leaders that were selfless you know, Ed O'Bannon has 30, over 30 points uh, against Duke on a nationally televised stage, and there's 10 minutes left in the game. And we say, well, if we leave him in, he'll get 40 or 50. And so in, you clear the bench. Coach Herrick clears the bench but leaves Ed in there. But it didn't do any good because Ed wouldn't shoot. Ed, you can get 50, man. Go, go ahead. He says, these other guys don't get a chance to play. They don't get a chance to shoot as much. It's their turn. And so, you know, Coach Eric took him out of the game. That's the kind of leader you had. He was the best leaders of servants. And he was a true servant on that team. And uh, George Zedek and Ty Sedney were were no different. They were the same way. So we we got to hear Coach Herrick's perspective. You mentioned, of course, the the famous Ty Sedney shot, 4.8 seconds. I, you know, I don't, we don't need to delve too much into it, but I would love to kind of get your take on that experience, you know, given that we heard it from Coach. What do you remember about, you know, that moment in time? It was very special. Well, I remember them scoring and our <laughs> guys walking off the floor because we called timeout. As soon as the ball went in, we called timeout. And our guys were walking down the, off the floor with their heads down. You could see just, uh-oh, uh-oh, we're going to – now we're in trouble. I don't think we thought we lost the game, but <clears throat> right before that, we thought the game was about to be over. This right. 20 seconds, the ball goes in. And as our guys were walking off the floor, I remember Coach Herrick walking onto the floor to meet one of the players. And as he's doing that, I'm in his ear. I said, Coach, we, we've got to run our home run play. And that's where we throw it the length of the floor. He said, <clears throat> I, I know what I'm doing. That's what he said. <laughs> and at that point, I'm thinking, great, sweet. You know better than me. You know? He passes me and walks out to Tyus Edney and tells him, you are going to shoot the ball. That was genius because in the NCAA tournament, 
there's there are two minute timeouts, not just one. So for two minutes, Ty didn't exactly know how, but he knew he was going to take the shot. And I just thought that was marvelous what Coach Herrick did. Did he mention that to you that he told him that? He did. Okay. He so, he, said, he had mentioned that Ed was saying, "Get me the ball. I want." Yeah, yeah, the ball. yeah. Oh yeah, and, oh, yeah. and Jim yeah. said, "No, you take. You're shooting this ball. Do not listen yeah. to them." Yeah, and it was important that he told him that because if there were any measure of indecisiveness on Ty's part, he wouldn't have time to get the shot off. Right. He actually quoted saying, are we crystal clear what I'm saying right now? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like when he was, yeah. that's exactly what he said. So, yeah. so Ty's got it. Yeah. yeah, Ty's got it, no doubt. So when we went back out on the floor, from my perspective, the only thing I wanted to see is how they were going to defend, defend Ty's. How were they going to line up with Ty's? Were they going to put a guy in front of him, behind him, uh, how were they going to guard him? Because I felt like if they put a guy in front of him and denied him the ball, then it would have to go to someone else, and they would not be as decisive. as Tyus had to get that basketball. Uh, of course, you did have Ed O'Bannon on the floor, and they were concerned about Ed O'Bannon too. So what they decided to do, what Missouri decided to do, was put a guy behind him and let Tyus catch it but they were going to put another guy at half court double, yeah. and they would double Tyus at half court. Right. Not a bad plan. All right. Well, when we go out on the floor and the guys behind him, I'm thinking this is going to, this has a chance to work. Yeah. This has a chance to work because they can't keep Tyus in front of them. You can't guard, but you can't see, right? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So uh, as Steve Lavin would always say, would Tyus would get the ball, beep, 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 like a road runner, you know? Well, sure enough, he gets the ball, and he goes, he goes to his left, and he catches it on the run. That, uh, that was something else that was key. He didn't have to come back to get the ball. He caught it on the run, and he's going to his left, and you can see the defender at half court lining up to come to double Tyus, and Tyus had this great ability to go from zero to 60 in no time in terms of his speed. And he's dribbling to his left, and here comes the double team, and Tyus puts it behind his back and shifts and goes the complete opposite direction. At that point, he got rid of two defenders. Right. The defender that was trying to guard him and the defender that was going to double him. Those guys were now not really in the picture. So Tyus, there he goes, and you can see the floor is spread. They had a guy named Derek Grimm who was about six foot eight. Tyus gets to the basket and kind of shoots a finger roll. And Derek Grimm put his hands up because the other thing Coach Herrick told Tyus is they will not foul you. That was more genius. Don't worry about them blocking your shot. They don't want to foul you. Just shoot the ball. And sure enough, Grimm put his hands up but didn't move. Just put his hands up. And I've always said, you know, over the years, if he would not have cut his fingernails, he might have blocked the shot. It was that close. So close. Sure enough, the ball goes in the basket. We live to see another day and win a national championship. Amazing. That is a great story, man. I, I remember it like it was yesterday until I was telling Coach Herrick, you know, I worked for the NBA. I was a ball boy for the Clippers for 10 years, from 10 to 20. Uh, yeah. And – I kept the newspaper of Tyus, you know, getting held up, and I finally got him to sign it. And it was it was hanging in my house until about two months ago when it broke. 
So that was a, a special moment for me in my childhood. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember that team like it was yesterday. So yeah. af after UCLA, you get a great opportunity, right? Going into the year of the national championship year, uh, Pepperdine had contacted me. At that point, they had an opening. And it was very tempting because I was very familiar with Pepperdine. One of the reasons was Coach Eric had coached there before. Right. And uh, I grew up, I, I, I was very aware of who Pepperdine was. And Pepperdine, the last exit that uh, to get off where we were living off the freeway, said Pepperdine next right. That's where I got off to go home every day when I was working at UCLA. Right. And they uh, offered me the position, but I thought, you know what? Going into this year, I would hate to leave and we go to a final four. That's how I thought. I said, I wouldn't want to miss having an opportunity to be a, a part of a situation where we're in the final four. So that was one of the main reasons I didn't go. And sure enough, we won the whole thing, right? So uh, that was 95, 96 season comes along and it opens up again. And this time, I took advantage of it and, and accepted the job. It's also easy. It's, it's not a, a bad decision to choose Malibu, too. I mean, that definitely helps, right? No, that was not a negative for sure. <laughs> and so you did, what was it, two seasons at Pepperdine, your first run? Three? Three, three years. And then you went to St. Louis, correct? There, St. Louis. That's right, for three more. We were wondering, we didn't know if we had our time right, but were you before or after uh, Larry Hughes? I always say this. Larry Hughes entered the draft. If he wouldn't have, the other coach would have never retired. Interesting. Sure. Makes sense. So, Stick around one more year for Larry. Yeah, if, he were, if he were coming back, I think <laughs> Coach Woodhour would have stayed another year. But uh, he entered the draft, so I, I didn't get a chance. I was one year removed from Larry Hughes. Um, and then you get your, your, big, like your big opportunity to go back to Washington, correct? That's right. We were there for 15 years, and that was uh, a great, great time, great chapter in our life. In, you know, in coaching years, 15 with one team is like 50 years, right? Because not too many people get 15 yeah, years. Yeah, to coach. doesn't happen very often. We're really blessed that way. You know, one thing that we like to bring up on the show when we have guests like you is like that region of basketball players, Seattle, Washington in general, they generate a lot of – it's like a hotbed of really good talent. Um, a lot of great players have come out of there. And you being such a great recruiter, um, who are some – I mean – a player we bring up all the time is Brandon Roy, right? About yeah, yeah. We, we try to school the younger guys that listen to us that might not know yeah. like how good he was. Um, can you talk a little bit about Brandon well, Roy? Oh, let, me, let, me, let me ask this, though, because I'm pretty sure your first year is when you get three major recruits. I mean, you can correct me on this, but you get Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, um, and Bobby Jones all, all in that first year that you're there. Is that right? They were in the same class. However, Bobby was the only one we recruited. Uh, it, it's interesting how that worked out. Uh, Bob Bender was the head coach before us, and uh, Brandon Roy was someone that uh, wasn't – he was recruited, but not at the level that he probably should have been. Yeah. So, But Brandon, uh, and, and, and this has been well documented, he hadn't received a score, test score yet, to be eligible to play. So he was coming to the University of Washington, but – when school started, he wasn't in school yet, but he was coming. Nate Robinson uh, was going to go to USC because he played football. 
right. phenomenal football. I think he could have been an NFL Absolutely. football player. Yeah. And, but they wouldn't let him play basketball and football. He <laughs> wanted to play basketball and football. And there were many who were skeptical of if he'd be able to play at a high level on the college level because of his size, lack of size. So uh, he let Washington know that he would come to Washington. And Rick Neuheisel was the football coach at the time. And I remember them, the story he, he talked about Bender, the head basketball coach, and said, we have a chance to get Nate Robinson. You know, he's a pretty good basketball player. Would you let him walk on uh, and let him play football? Sure, we'll, we'll play. We'll do that, you know. So he comes. That's how he ends up at Washington. So he's playing football in the beginning. Brandon's not in school. But we were able to recruit Bobby Jones uh, from Southern California. So he came in. So that's the team kind of with some others that were kind of were there that first year. And so, I mean, something that he was starting to get on there a little bit was how special Brandon Roy became. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got off of Nate Robinson was during that time early on was our most exciting player. I mean, you just didn't want to miss anything with him. There's just no telling what Absolutely. he would do. He, he was so excited. But Brandon Roy was our best player. Yeah. And everyone knew it. And there was no doubt when he joined us. He joined us in January because the second quarter, Washington was on his quarter system. Mm-hmm. He joined us in January because he had received his test score to, to come. And we talked about, you know, he said, Coach, do you think I should redshirt? And I said, no, Brandon, I think uh, you're a good enough player to where by the time you're a junior, you'll have a chance to play in the NBA, is what I told him. Wow. I said, so, so I think right now you should finish the year and play because it was conference time, so you gain experience for the following years. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think you'll eventually play your last year anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. So – he decided to do that. So we went up to the gym, and I don't know if this is an indictment on our offense or not, but he learned our offense in an hour. And, you know, there, there were guys on the team that were still trying to learn it. You know, it <laughs> started back in October. His IQ was off the charts. Uh, to this day, you sit down and you watch a game with Brandon Roy, and you listen to his analysis, you are blown away with how he sees the game. You know, it's no secret that as a high school coach, he's won a couple state championships and one national championship. But he just had a great, great mind for the game. He played the game in such a way, and this was, had a lot to do with his IQ and his feel. You, you, never, you couldn't rush him. He was going to play at his own pace. He was going to get to where he wanted to get on the basketball floor, and he was going to do what he wanted to do. Very few players ever get to that level. No, that's right. It's, and, and it's hard to teach. I don't know if you can even teach that as right. a coach. It's just something that you, you're kind of born with. And, and Brandon had it. With, with that, he was a big-time athlete, but uh, he saved it for opportune situations. You know, you think you're going to block the shot, and boom, he's dunking on your head, and you didn't know you had that mm-hmm. in him. But he had whatever he needed to have in his bag to get done what he needed to get done on the basketball field. You, you, you speak highly about Nate Robinson and how exciting he was, and everybody loves Nate just because of his size and just how athletic. And then you get IT, right? 
who maybe not as athletic as Nate, but just as exciting to watch play. What was it like coaching him? Oh my goodness. He, you know, totally different. He wasn't as, he wasn't as flamboyant as Nate because it's hard to be that flamboyant. Anyone, any human, it's hard to be as flamboyant as, as Nate Robinson. But uh, in his own way, Isaiah, he wanted to put on a show. And he just, from, from day one, from day one, he came in and he was a leader as a freshman. You know, as, as you go through the years, uh, you jump from Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson. But in between there, there was a guy named John Brockman, who a mm-hmm. lot of people don't remember, but he's the all-time leading rebounder in, in the school's history. Wow. Uh, was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Just rugged, tough. And Brock, John's junior year, he averaged over 17 little over 17 points a game. So he's coming back as a senior, which is going to be Isaiah's freshman year. And, you know, it's a senior year. Uh, John played with Brandon Roy when he was a freshman. He played with Bobby Jones when he was a freshman. He went on, he played with Spencer Hawes the next year. Spencer Hawes was a freshman. He was a one and done. And now John is coming back for his senior year. Most kids would say, now it's my turn to be the man. that's how they would look at it. And they earned it. I went to John in the summer and he knew Isaiah. He knew him very well. And I said, John, you average over 17 a game. I said, we've got Isaiah coming here this year. You know, Isaiah, I said, for us to be the best that we can be, you might end up averaging about 15 or 16, as opposed to raising it to 19. And to John's credit, he said, Coach, whatever, whatever you need. Wow. I'm with it. And we go on, and Isaiah, you know, he leads the team in scoring as a freshman. Yeah. yeah. We were saying that we really want Isaiah as a, as a free agent right now for one of these NBA teams to pick him up. Like, you know, we, we've been waiting for another opportunity for him, and uh, we're just ruining him on. Somebody's got to be able to use him, you know. I think there's still a lot left in the tank. Special talent. He, he is a special talent, a winner. I mean – People, people lose sight of the fact that uh, Isaiah almost averaged 30 a game for Boston. <laughs> Three years ago. For the Celtics, playoff team. He almost averaged 30. Uh, he's, uh, it's, 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 he can help someone. There's no doubt about it. Um, the, best thing that, the best advice you ever got from a coach, what was it? Oh man! I know you've been around a lot of people. Is there anything that has stuck out, stuck out in your head? Probably Jim Herrick uh, told me because as coaches, you're always trying to find new ways to do things. You're always trying to get better. You know, coaches go to clinics and now they want to revamp their entire defense because of what this coach said during the clinic. And he would, we would come in with these ideas. Coach, watch this. Hey, here's this one play. Hey, here's, and he'd stop us mid sentence. Coach. Teach what you know and know what you teach. <laughs> hey, that makes know sense. Know what you teach, teach what you know. And it made all kinds of sense. And uh, that's that stuck with me for my whole coaching career. Um, don't mean to backtrack again, but I, I really wanted to ask one more question about recruiting. Because, look, I, I feel that NBA coaches and college coaches, I think it's two different things. Because in the NBA – you know, you, you have to win. Winning is all that really matters. And then in college, there's so much more that encompasses the position, which, you know, you got to, they want you to win. They want you to recruit. 
You know, they want to make sure the kids are going to class, got to make sure that the grades are up. Like there's a lot that comes with that. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you do it all? Like, how do you do that all and still focus on winning basketball games? Well, you, it's not easy, number one, and you better make sure you have a competent, hardworking staff with you. And a short answer to your question is it's all about your staff. Mm -hmm. If you have guys that uh, really want to work, guys that are all in and wanting to be the best and they're competent and they're good at what they do, and you're able to delegate and put those guys in positions where they're very strong and they're good enough to cover your weaknesses. I have, I have guys that I always try to hire my weaknesses, my blind side. They see them and they cover for you. Then you're able to get it done. But there's a lot. There's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot involved in, in being a head coach at this level. So that actually kind of leads us to kind of present day, now that you're, you're back at Pepperdine now. And we're, we're looking to this next year with a lot of uncertainty and unknowns. Um, you know, without delving in too much in, into your day-to-day -day stuff, what, is, what are you trying to do with this unique year coming up as far as recruiting? Like, do you, do, are you even certain that there's going to be a season next year? Like, what is, what's kind of next uh, as far as you can see uh, with, this, with this year in, in collegiate sports? We're hopeful. We're hopeful uh, that there's going to be a season, like everyone else. Obviously, safety is first. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the NBA, what's going to happen with football, see what's going to take place with those situations. But uh, at Pepperdine, at our university, you know, we have a process that we're doing. Uh, even when our, our student athletes return, it's not going to be okay. Let's, let's get together and have workouts. Uh, they're going to have to uh, be tested. They're going to have to take physicals. They're going to be, there's going to be some quarantine going on. There's, everything has to still be practiced in terms of safety. Uh, all of that still has to take place. But uh, I don't think anyone can tell you for sure what's going to happen. Back in March, when all of this, the sports were stopped and a lot of things were stopped, because of the virus, I don't think anyone could have told you then what was going to happen. There were some people that thought they could tell you, but there were a lot of people that were wrong. So uh, we're planning as if we're going to have a season. And that's all I can say at this point. Sure. Do you, do you make sure that, you, that your kids are, are working out and trying to stay up on things? Or like oh, yeah. We, we, we stay up. Uh, we a Zoom chat uh, three times a week with our team. Uh, nice. We have a speaker on Mondays, and then we kind of look at film on the other days. But we stay in touch with our guys, and we stay in touch, and, and, and they let us know, uh, they let our strength coach know what they're doing uh, at home, working out. So uh, it's getting a little bit old to them. They're, they're losing ways of being creative, and it's a little monotonous. But uh, they've been staying in pretty good shape. Do you have any um, any seniors from last season that may be granted, you know, a, a, an extra year coming up or anything like that, that that might be on the plate for them this year? I know because it's a rough way to end your collegiate career out of nowhere. It is. It is. But, you know, we weren't – we're more of a winter sport as opposed to a spring court and, uh, sport. And I think uh, seniors that get another year of eligibility applied probably more to the spring sports. We actually – uh, we had an opportunity to play in the CBI tournament, which didn't happen, but 
one, our, we just had this one senior that was on scholarship and he played all the way through. You know, we lost our last game in the conference tournament and that was it. So he wouldn't be granted another year because he played pretty much the entire season. Got it. Okay. So personal question, who you got winning the title this year? Who, who's going to win this weird NBA title this year? Oh my goodness. That is, uh, I, I have no idea. You know, the, the Lakers were looking pretty strong mm-hmm. when, uh, when the season was going on. You know, they were, they were looking pretty good. The Bucks were looking pretty good. At, at this point, you know, who is in uh, great shape? Who's going to regain their form that you had during the year? Uh, it, it's hard, too hard to tell for me. I got you. Obviously, yeah. I got my Clippers. And I backtrack really fast. So you remember how you were saying Brandon Roy is always good at picking his spots and his pace and stuff. I I always say that about Kawhi. I think Kawhi is just like that. Like he plays at his own pace and picks and chooses where he wants to shoot, and uh, that's why he shoots such a high percentage. And anyways, I thought that was kind of a good relationship to talk about there. Um, Let me tell you something about your Clippers. Tell me something. They uh. They, uh you can't count them out because obviously they have guys that could put the ball in the basket, but they've got some junkyard dogs on defense. Yes, we do. Montrez <laughs> Harrell. Yes. And we just Patrick got Beverly. Noah. Patrick Beverly. And we just got Yoki Noah, which is, I think is a, yeah. a sleeper pickup. Big it, sleeper. it is. It is. And when you have multiple defenders that can guard multiple positions, you've got something there and you've got a great defensive coach, great overall coach, but great defensive coach. And Doc Rivers, uh, you just you can't count the Clippers out. Absolutely. One question that we ask everybody on the show, especially people that have hooped in L.A., okay? We asked Herrick this, and you might have to go back in the memory bank right now. Raymond Lewis? God darn See, every time. Everybody knows. Everybody that. says that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I was going to ask for your five, but obviously Raymond Lewis is, uh, is on your squad. Um, do, you, do, you, do you happen to know Leon Wood at all? Oh, since he was uh, probably in the ninth grade coming up to UCLA, he was a true gym rat. So one of the all-time gym rats in L.A. history. Leon's one of my best friends, and we've, we've been talking basketball for the past 12 years, every, like pretty much every day. And he's the one that turned me on to Raymond Lewis. And it seems like everybody that we've ever talked to brings up Raymond Lewis. Herrick said the same thing. Can you name a couple more that you might have on your squad if you're putting five together? John Williams. Hot plate, right? Yeah. Marcus, Marcus Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, though, you know, for so long, those were the ones. Uh, you can't leave Paul Westfall out of this equation. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, Reggie Theus. Yeah. But now with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that's right. Look what they've been doing. You know, you, you, you talk about the best ever. You forget what's the, the current guys could be the best ever also. That right. You know, so it's, it's hard. It, it's tough. to Yeah, Paul Pierce. There you go. It's exactly right. It's tough to leave those guys out. The thing with Raymond Lewis is that uh, he <laughs> didn't take him a lot of dribbles to get his shot off. <laughs> I just – I watched him. Matter of fact, I'll tell you a story, quick story. Uh, after my rookie year in the NBA, after just being busted so many times trying to guard people, you know, guys like Andrew Tony that people forget about. I mean, Andrew Tony would score 50 on you. Physical, yeah. If, if he had the chance, you know. 
oh, you just every everyone. I'm like, I got to work on my defense. I've got to get better at def- defending, or I'm going to be out of the league like next week. You know, so <laughs> I come home in the summer and I go up to Cal State Dominguez to watch a free agent tryout, just to be around basketball. And across from me, I look. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's Raymond Lewis. Raymond Lewis was there watching. And uh, I think he was probably 30 years old at the time. And I watched Raymond Lewis score 53 on Long Beach wow. State. Uh, I watched him pl- when he was in college. Uh, they were number three team in the country at the time. He scored 53 and just torched them. They couldn't guard him. <laughs> I had seen him play so many times, but I'd never met him. And I said, you know what? If there's some kind of way I could go meet him and convince him to work out with me or I could work out with him and guard this dude every day <laughs> you're gonna get better a week yeah okay then I'm ready to go play defense the next year <laughs> I, I couldn't help but get better I'd either quit basketball or get better playing defense <laughs> and so I walk across and I go over to him I said excuse me you don't you don't know me but he says no I do he said you went to verb that's just what he said, because he went to Bourbon Day. Right. And he says, I know who you are. He was a student of the game. He knew all, all players in all sports. I said, Can, I just want to ask you, I said, do you work out? Is it possible for me to get your number and we could work out sometimes? He says, yeah. When do you want to start? I said, as uh, soon as possible. He says, how about Monday? This, this was on a Friday. Wow. So we he says, where? I said, Cerritos College, because I could get in there when I wanted. My brother, who's a year and a half younger than me, we get up there. I said, man, you won't believe who's going to come. Now, I just played against Magic, you know, Dr. J, Kareem, all of the Larry Bird in the NBA that year. And forget that. Raymond Lewis is going to show up. You know, that's how we saw it. And sure enough, we get there, and Raymond comes in with a jump rope. He jump ropes jump ropes for about 15 minutes he says all right let's go that was in june and june july and august we worked out almost every day wow and just to go up against him every day it just i I couldn't beat him uh he would destroy me you couldn't guard him and uh that summer we were in the pro-am he was in the regular pro summer league and the pro-am and uh we were in the pro-am and my brother and Raymond were on the same team. Hey. My team, well, their team, the team I was on, the guards were myself and Michael Cooper. Wow. And everyone wanted to know when Raymond Lewis was going to play against Michael Cooper. Cooper. Right. Well, that day came. And that game was at Compton College. And I know I'm long-winded on this, but it's right, Lewis. Okay, uh, so it was at Compton College, and you had a number of people saying he could only do that stuff on the playground. If he played against a real NBA player that was good, he couldn't do that stuff. So you had this difference of opinion in the stands at the game. So the game starts, and the first time Raymond gets the ball, he goes up, and Coop slaps it down like Raymond's going up to shoot and he slaps it down and Raymond falls begging for a foul and Coop goes down and dunks it. And the reaction, you know, you could just hear, I told you, I told you, he can't do that on Coop, you know? So 
you could just hear that. I'm on the court playing the game, but you could hear that stuff mm-hmm. in the stands. So the game goes on, and Raymond hits a jumper. He got to lose. He got away from Coop. Hits a jumper. So then our team turns the ball over, and someone kicks it ahead, and Raymond hits another jumper. So now he's hit two. So someone gets an offensive rebound on his team and kicks it out to him, and he hits another one. And I heard a voice out of the stands says, I'm going to say it the way it came out. There you go. That's what I heard. There he goes. <laughs> oh, Raymond, at that point, they throw the ball up ahead to him. He's hit three in a row, and he puts the ball on his hip. And he stares at Michael Cooper and waves everybody off. Oh, one-on-one, I saw. Let's go. Let's go. And Coop pulls up his shorts and gets really low. And with a smile on his face, like, okay, huh? let's go. Because he grew up admiring Raymond Lewis, too. You know, but I am the NBA defensive player of the year, Raymond. That was kind of his attitude. <laughs> And Raymond did a series of something, and then it seemed like he was on a, a moving walkway or something and did, dribbled sideways as fast as I've ever seen anybody dribble straight. Wow. And then he just does this, and Coop jumped. The has Uh-huh. Yeah. But he didn't dribble. He just did that, and Coop jumped past him. And Raymond turned and looked at him and made the shot, and all of a sudden, people started running out of the gym. Ah. You know, that type of situation. And when the dust settled, he had 56 points. Dang, on Coop? On Coop. Wow. Whoa. And I I saw every minute of it, and that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what kind of talent. Now, this is when he was 30 years old. This wasn't when he was 22, 23. Wow, that's amazing. What a great story. That's Thanks one of the best stories I've ever heard. That's so great. <laughs> no, I was going to say, there are about 30 of them, but I won't, I won't go into You need another. Well, that's for another show, just Raymond Lewis segment. <laughs> I think we're going to have to do a Raymond Lewis show. That the stories from everybody in Los Angeles, they just keep coming. So it, it's pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, he passed away uh, years ago, and it was, you know, it, it was very sad, but uh, – well, a lot of memories, a lot of memories, a uh, lot of different stories uh, uh, about Ray. Coach, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been an honor for us. Hopefully we could do this again. If you let us pick your brain a little bit, maybe when the NBA season finally restarts, we can talk some, some X's, NBA, and X's and O's if we can, if, if you'd be interested in doing something like that. Appreciate Anytime, it. guys. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Coach. It's been a pleasure. We will talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, sir. Good luck. Okay. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you again to Coach Romar for coming on our show and blessing us with those amazing stories. Hopefully, we can have him back soon. You know we're coming back at you guys this week with another heater. We will be coming back Wednesday talking about the new NBA schedule that was just released. We're looking forward to it, people. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. We'll go. Like this before, like this before, like this before.